Brent Zettel, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Jay. Well, it's great. You have the best wall of, of the past week. Um, branded <laughs> walls are my favorite. I'm looking to get one behind me, but for now, it's just a, a dark gray wall. Well, it was all uh, in anticipation of COVID and it continued and we're doing more and more Teams meetings and Zoom meetings. It's like, well, we should really have something behind the wall besides just a white wall, so. Well, it looks good. Uh, <laughs> it looks good, sounds good. So you have that up on a lot of people, that, better than we've talked to a lot of people. Um, I wanna talk because you have, of course, the um, the Canamed background, now the Zayas uh, uh, company going. <laughs> Which, all, which is all to say, you've been in the cannabis space for a long time, um, even though you're a young man. T talk a little bit about the background of how Canamet started and how you got to where you are now at Zayas. Well, in 20 years, I actually, it was, it was kind of serendipitous to get into the whole cannabis space to begin with, because we were, uh, at the time, our name was Prairie Plant Systems as well, before we became Canamet. We are a plant biotech company and we are focused on plant-made pharmaceuticals using plants to make new pharmaceuticals. And we also happen to have a project growing plants in a mine in Flin Flon, Manitoba, that were where we were using it for security purposes and for isolation from the environment, et cetera. And the plants did quite well. So when the RFP, the request for proposal came in, in it was in January of, um, of, 20, of uh, 2000, uh, we said, you know, I think that's probably something that we could really add value to in that contract. And their impetus by the federal government at the time was they wanted um, they wanted a research grade cannabis flower, cannabis flower for doing clinical trials. And it was all sort of driven by the court system for uh, on the um, on the challenges through the constitutional challenges they had for health, where people wanted to have their own health, they wanted to feel that they could, there was something there. And so through that, the government's response was to set up this, this contract to make start the clinical trial process and then simultaneously let people grow their own product. So we were one of 195 bidders. Uh, we, there's a long, long story that I can share with you at some point with, with the, all the funny parts of that, but long story short, um, we were awarded the contract in December of 20 for the purposes of creating a, a cannabis flower product that would be used for clinical trials. At the time, the federal government had no idea what they were doing. Um, and, you know, they, they really didn't know what they didn't know. And so very often, because of the way the nature of the contract was, we were finding ourselves having to solve a lot of problems. And first of which was finding illicit seed and, you know, you know, that was a whole big dilemma. And, you know, we built the chamber and I said, okay, ready for the seed. And the health guy said, well, go get some. What do you mean go get some? Where am I going to go get seed? And they said, well, you go find the round the world. So we found a consultant who then reached out to three colleagues around the world in different parts and found out, um, you know, because it has to work from official country communication, that these three researchers were all working illegally and then were consequently incarcerated for their illegal activity in cannabis. I mean, that's how this whole thing got started. So then I said, well, this is crazy. How are we going to do this? So they started sending us bags of undefined seed from successful court convictions. Oh my so goodness. all the stuff that there was going to be destroyed, they had to send us the seed for that. And then from there, we had to select and grow the plants out and select something that would work. So we went through this massive collection and a screening process, which wasn't covered by the contract. And we collected you know, 12 varieties out of 80, uh, we screened through 25,000 different varieties. 
to find 12 that we thought would work clinically. Wow. And so the, you know, so the patients were, you know, our, our, our uh, part of me, our staff were, they started giving the names to the plants. We all had numbers, we had research numbers, but they started naming them by their smells. That was the first curious thing that we learned is that every plant has a unique terpene signature. And they all, so they started calling things like cotton candy and chocolate and jack pine and skunk and everything else, just because blueberry hill, Ever they would walk through, they'd smell the different smells. So that's kind of the, the sort of the flavor of how things got started because we were really at the ground level trying to figure out how to legitimize this and get something into a standardized format so that they could deliver, you know, so we could deliver it to clinical trials. And then in 2003, there was a famous Ontario Supreme Court ruling from Mr. Hitzing, who was, had suffered, uh, I believe it was from MS, and he had to then... Um, he asked the courts, demanded the courts that he would have access to the Health Canada material, which de facto was the stuff that we were growing. And after they lost that Supreme Court case, then the, the Crown turned to us and said, okay, now you got to start applying to the patients across the country and figure it out. What? <laughs> so, figure it out. so the whole thing kind of got started and I, we came up with one variety and we said, and of course, this was the most famous part of this whole story was when we said uh, we came up with a variety that was at 14 percent thc and at the time um you know the, the health canada had a, a, a report done by the rcmp of all the successful convictions in the past whatever for the for a hundred thousand convictions and test results that the national average is nine to ten percent thc across the country at that time and uh, our stuff that we had was coming in at 14 percent that we picked and so I got the call from Health Canada, well, water it down. Water it down. What do you mean water it down? They said, well, water it down with leaf and twigs. I said, that is crazy. We're going to get slaughtered. I mean, I'm not allowed to talk to the media, but we're going to get slaughtered. Everybody's going to know that there's, there's a problem there because we were milling the product too at the time to make it so it was easier for patients who had manual dexterity to put it into whatever, either vape form or whatever they're going to roll it or whatever they're going to do. I said, I, I can't do this. He said, well, you're ordered to do it. I said, we're going to get slaughtered. Sure as heck, we got slaughtered. And uh, the media had a frenzy. And of course, all the compassion clubs of the day thought that was just it was great fodder. <laughs> Shortly after all that fiasco, then they said, okay, now you can take out the leaf and twigs. Thanks. Well, that's just great. But we, we dealt with that stigma for the entire 14 years we had that contract out. So we never did shake that stigma that we, you know, the health Canada stuff was swag. So anyway, in 2014, that's when the regs changed. And then we can, we then, then that's when Kahneman really started to found a stride. I said, we need more varieties. It looks like patients are only kind of getting supported in some of the conditions. You know, they had eight conditions they could apply for, but there's this pent up demand. They're looking for more things. So we, right after 2014 happened, of course, Health Canada took all their patients with them. They didn't give, we had to start from ground zero. Mm -hmm. But we were allowed to have at least seven different varieties of, of cannabis herbal product that ranged from high THC, low CBD, and to the other extreme high THC, low, C, low CBD. So anyway, that's where we put out the thing. And then two years later, after that, we were allowed to produce oils. Yeah. And so <clears throat> that's how then we, at that point, then as the story goes, we were learning what patients were really using it for and how the doctor-patient interface was happening. And we were aggregating the data and trying to understand what's going on. And that, that in the indices for people being prescribed cannabis moved from eight 
different indices that were allowed under the previous uh, regulations to 168 conditions. And when we took and compiled it, the, the stuff as we pulled it together, it looked like 58% of the patients using cannabis-based products were using for managing some form of a chronic or neuropathic pain condition or a symptom as it related to a condition. And so we said that's a big one. And then 19% for neuropsychiatry, things as anxiety, depression, and PTSD, that's our. And so we had, those are the big, big, big items. And they, interestingly enough, they were able to, the patients were selecting cannabis varieties or the cannabis types that we had, we didn't call them varieties, we had, the, we had the different strengths, but they were gravitationally naturally going to those strengths that helped their condition, both either in pain or in neuropsychiatry. We found some synergies there. So when the, you know, Aurora came in to, to try to, and when they went, did the, uh, the, the buyout from Canamed, we were just at the cusp of beginning to understand the direction we had to go in order to look at the true clinical direction and it was just beginning to understand and put on said we had those aha moments starting to happen. And of course, then the, the whole system changed. So I knew the mission wasn't over. I knew that the way we had something there, we just made a lot of the interesting discoveries and I, I negotiated a non-competes for me and my other staff. And then 35 members came over and we started three days after it was on a Canamed, I started Zias. Yeah. Uh, so done on March 31st and I started Zias April 3rd. And, here we are today. No yeah. rest, no rest for the weary, uh, because it's a, it's an incredible it's an incredible story. I don't think I've heard you tell it. Uh, it is an incredible story, harkening back. It seems like the olden days, but in reality, it was you know it was two thousand two thousand one. But but the the idea that you were learning about um, how patients were using it, what they wanted to use, how they were finding it, obviously is baked into everything you guys do now. And talk a little bit about that because. Uh, I was just on the site, the products you now have available, they are formulations, which goes back to sort of the data you're collecting and how patients are using it. Talk a little bit about the thinking of, of Zias and, and sort of how you're bringing it uh, to patients. Sure. So the, the number one thing that we found with patients is that, you know, if you stand back and think, what is a, why is a patient using a cannabis-based product? And they're using it really to in either offset or, or mitigate a symptom, and then they want to get on with their life into a more normal life. And so within that, they're looking for precision and accuracy so they can just take just enough product that, that really then you're using it and get on with their day. And the, what does that require in the products themselves? That really requires that there's a lot of precision in the products that are made. In other words, that they're always consistent time in and time again, because a patient self titrates. When they find the right product, they dial it in and then, they, and then it works for them. And it, you know, when it doesn't work, that's when it's a problem, when it changes all over the map. And so number one focus was making sure we had a quality team to making sure we're making the quality products that are very consistent, that follow a GMP time in and time again. That was our number one priority. The number two priority is making sure that we have the right formulations in there that, that was akin to what we noticed before, that you have a, you know, a balanced one-to-one -to -one ratio product and a one that has a higher CBD product in it because they that seems to be where the gravitational pull was initially but the within behind that for the patients making sure that there was always product available the one thing that drives me nuts is in a rec product some of the rec products are you know their hall of famers are saying it's so popular we're out of stock well that doesn't work for a patient 
A patient needs to know that product's going to be there all the time. God, otherwise, why do you build in the reliability? When we were at uh, Canamed, in the in the eight in the nineteen years I was in the cannabis space, or eighteen years I was there before, we never ran out of product once in eighteen years. We couldn't. We weren't allowed to for Health Canada either. So we had that discipline. We always had inventory of the same stuff all the time, and we had two hundred eighty-one points of quality control. The patients really appreciated both of those things because they self-titrate. A little example is my aunt, after we were in between, uh, my late aunt, she was using for, for managing cannabis, for managing her lymphoma. And she was using the same variety from one supplier. And one time she got, she finally dialed it in. And then she goes to use it the next week. She says it's too strong. And she, she, she wasn't able to wake up and, and she soiled herself in her bed. And the next week it was so weak that she didn't get any sleep and she was afraid to take more stuff. So again, patients need precision and they need the consistency of supply in order to really truly use it as a medicine. Now, I'm not trying to just to, to throw the recreational industry under the bus at all. Recreational you know, has a purpose of being playful and recreational product, but that's for experimental and adventurous and they want to be adventurous and they really don't, you know, they're, they're kind of wanting to have a, a unique experience, you know, so that's why they're, they're willing to try other things. But a patient, that's like, that's scary for a patient. Yeah. Because they really want to find one thing that works for them. So our focus as a company is making sure those two top priorities are maintained as it comes as it relates to patients. I guess our third commitment is then what we're really grappling towards is, is, is the true clinical work that we're doing. We're, we've got around 50 different preclinical trials going on with different formulations, specific formulations. And we'll be entering into our true true blue phase one clinicals this year in, uh, in, the, in the first drug product candidates. And that's because we think we've been able to unlock what's really needed in order to have that precision maintained on a more macro scale and a more consistent scale once we discovered some of these cannabinoid formulations. Yeah. And our commitment is making sure that we see these things through as expensive as they are. But it's, it's really, I mean, it's, a, it's an approach that is Long overdue is not the right thing because because obviously you've been doing it for a long time. But but we are in a new era, I would say, right? Where we're especially in Canada and increasingly in the states too, where there is this you know big and growing rec market, uh, which I think has taken people's focus off exactly what you're talking about is how patients use it, what they need, how to service them, different and apart from this rec stream, which is different and apart from the rec stream, right? They need consistency, the same product over again. On the, on the shelves or virtual shelves all the time so they can actually rely on it, people like you. Right, and I think it, it oops, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say that was, we had a very recent patient report back to us. They, they were using a recreational product for managing a, a chronic neuropathic pain syndrome. And it was giving them some, some relief on, once and again, but they were, you know, it was helping on their sleep a little bit. But when they, when they switched to a, a consistent or consistent oil product, a higher CBD, all of a sudden they're getting five hours of sleep consistently um, and this particular woman and she was also then her pain was so well managed that she could actually reduce her opiates that she reported to us self-reported without uh, without prompting and thirdly i guess the most importantly life-changing is she was able to sit and have her daughter sit beside her without pain and read her a bedtime story when she's eight for the first time in her eight-year-old life she's yeah. able to, to tell her a bedtime story so you know these are having meaningful impacts kind of sort of works because it makes sense it's kind of sort of mm -hmm. you know the cannabinoids there but to get it as a medicine it requires that precision and discipline and and availability 
on a consistent basis to be used as a medicine. Yeah, and, and I want to talk, uh, sort of zoom out a bit, uh, because that's specific how we serve as patients. But zooming out a bit, I mean, uh, this has been a uh, challenging year uh, since last March, last March to, to now, and it, with not a huge, uh, uh, there's not some like gold at the mm. end of the tunnel mm. or, or light at the end of the tunnel necessarily yet. But but um, the latest numbers from Health Canada suggest that there are more patients now than there were sort of when COVID began, which is actually um, an interesting stat and bucks the trend, I think, where other medical programs have added rec. And I, and I want to ask you a question. Do you think that is because um, companies like you, but but others are actually dialing in for patients or patients are now just more open to it because they've been home for a long time and looking for some relief different and apart from what they may get elsewhere? And do you think it's a trend that could continue as people um, well, over the next sort of three, four, six, 12 months during COVID, but actually beyond that as well. I think the trend line is going to continue. And part of the, the main driver is that it, this, as we relate to this convolutions of, of three main things, you have baby boomer demographics that are coming into sunset years, you have opiate overprescription, and you really have, you know, the healthcare costs and the costs associated with all of that. And people honestly, our tagline, we're saying, you know, where people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And so they're looking for alternatives in a more uh, meaningful way. Now, if we still, you know, based on the Health Canada reports recently, it looks like one in five Canadians are suffering in chronic pain still to this day. And so the question is, do they need to live miserably ever after into their sunset years? And people are, you know, they're at home. Let's do some investigation and see if there's something. Let's try this. I would say there's a more openness to trying new things that would help augment this. But I think it's pent up, it's about pent up demand by the fact that people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I don't subscribe to this paradigm where, you know, health is, you know, health is only, healthcare is only related to having somewhere between 10 and 10 prescriptions. And we, you know, we still feel like crap. I think health should be something that people feel like they're emboldened and they're getting their life back that things are going back to normal that things are coming back to some semblance their sleep is improving and they're getting some positive positivity out of that and the cannabinoids offer a lot of that uh, a lot of that potential the difficulty is the lack of discipline that comes in the manufacturing the lack of discipline and understanding what what really works and so people i think are are starting to experiment and being open-minded and it's because of this driving need a one in five Canadian suffering, but the suffering is, you know, when I look at that's one of the reasons the mission got started. I know that the suffering is still the human condition is one of a, a great suffering still to this day. And the baby boomers are in the sunset years are going to continue to drive that. I think there's still a significant upside as it relates to people looking at this, especially once we unlock those nuggets of truth as it relates to formulations that really are benefiting. I like that. I like unlocking the nuggets of truth. Well, uh, we know that you will have your nose to the grindstone seeking out those nuggets as you enter clinical trials. We appreciate your time and your perspective and longevity of that perspective. And we hope to have you back at some point uh, to talk about the path forward and uh, how things are going. So thank you for joining us, Brent. My pleasure, Ray.